Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here and if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
Amen. Good morning. It's a good-looking group here today, those of you who are able to be adventurous and, and get out. I hope you're able to get out of your driveway okay. I was stuck for a little bit, but uh, the Lord eventually moved the car after uh, several attempts. But do be careful going back home. Uh, there's still places, I'm, I'm sure, maybe your driveway where there's some ice. We don't want anybody to fall. Those that are uh, with us online, it's good to have you guys tuned in today and you be safe and you be careful uh, as this ice continues to melt. Hopefully all the bad weather is out and we won't have any more uh, weeks like we've had this week. Just a few announcements that we do want to make. Deacons, don't forget March 7th is uh, Deacons meeting. That'll be after the worship service uh, that morning. And then also we're going to have a, a, a business meeting on March the 10th. It, it, we really haven't had uh, the business meetings like we wanted last year. We're going to try to get back to being a little bit better of those uh, with uh, some things kind of calmed down now. But March the 10th will be the first one uh, that's on our calendar. So be sure to uh, plan for that. That'll be on Wednesday night uh, or Wednesday evening after the prayer meeting. Uh, we'll have that. We've got two more Sundays for Lottie Moon. So I uh, encourage you to continue to give towards that as we try to reach our goal. I think we're just a little under 11,000, 10,000 and, and, and something was the last count that I had. And uh, our goal is 15,000, so we still got a little bit to go. And I know we can do it uh, in the next couple of weeks. So I encourage you to do that. Also, uh, in March, we're going to reopen our Sunday school classes. Now, March, we're just kind of leaving that between you and your Sunday school teachers. So teachers, talk to your class members, see uh, how your members are fitting. We're encouraging you to uh, open the back up. Uh, if you need maybe a bigger space or a different space, let us know. We'll try to accommodate that, work it out. I know that some classes like Miss Alice Ball's class is going to continue to meet on Saturdays. That's a good day for them. They like that, so they're going to be doing that. And uh, But our goal is by April uh, to really have everything kind of reopen as far as Sunday school goes. I was reading an article this week in uh, the Wall Street Journal that said that they really think that we're going to reach herd immunity uh, in the United States uh, as early as April. So that's a good sign. I hope that that's uh, the way things work. And if it is, that means that we're a lot better off now to be able to be together uh, and not have to worry so much about the COVID uh, concern. But uh, so be in prayer for those things as we're reopening that. Also, uh, we're going to be setting the alarm on the church a little bit more than we've been doing in the past. It, it kind of had not been set, uh, uh, but we're going to redo that after the incident with the folks taking the thing off the bus this last week. We thought that would be good to make sure we do that. So if you're coming, uh, be sure you got the code to, to disarm the alarm. If you need that, just see me or Brian. We'll get it to you. Uh, that way you can get in uh, and uh, not have any problem. But uh, that's really what's going on as far as way of announcements. We do need a couple of guys to stick around uh, after the service is over. We're going to be moving the old piano off the stage. We were supposed to have the new one here Wednesday, but because of the snow, they couldn't deliver. But uh, in the next couple of weeks, they're actually going to be bringing the, uh, Derek's baby back, and so he'll, he's going to be excited. But we need to get that old one also that they'll have a place to put the new one uh, when it gets here. But... Uh, those are the, the major announcements, and uh, let's have a word of prayer as we open up our worship together. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that we can be here uh, on this glorious, beautiful day. The sun is shining, the temperatures are rising, and it's just good to get out and get out of the house, Lord. We know that several still are kind of uh, 
uh, homebound because of uh, maybe their driveways or the, the county roads are, are still pretty bad. And, and Lord, we continue to pray for those that have uh, ice around their home and ice, ice on the roads that uh, they can have safe travel when they do get out. Particularly, Father, for our, uh, some of our older members that uh, just concerns for them. I was talking to someone, Lord, this morning today was talking about uh, one of their loved ones just going to get the mail, fell and broke their arm. And, and Lord, those are concerns that we have. We pray for the safety and well-being of uh, our church family, but also our community as well. And Lord, we uh, continue to pray as we move forward into reopening more and more ministries and, and getting back to some normalcy. And, and Lord, we pray that those things can be done to your glory, to your honor, and, and to, to Lord, just in a way that's safe and secure uh, for us. Lord, just we thank you for this morning, the message uh, that you give to us by your presence, and Lord, through the singing of your your praise and just the, the preaching of pray, Lord, of your word. All those things we give you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have our Christmas progressive dinner. We're going to do that in March for the youth. Uh, so we're going to have like a St. Patrick's Day, I guess, progressive dinner. We'll, we'll do it here. I'll play Grubhub. I'll go and get different things and bring it back here to the church. But we'll give you more information as that gets closer. I'm going to ask you to stand. If any time you need to sit back down, go ahead and sit down. But we want to keep the kids standing as long as they can because Brother Chris said his sermon's long today. Thank you. 
Aren't you glad that we can stand in the power of Christ? Regardless of what comes our way, we know that he's with us. And when God is with us, we're always on the winning side. Amen. Darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken My fear doesn't stand a chance God's love, we also know we're always going to see a victory. God never fails.
weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never
reading through the, the Bible this year chronologically, and one of my favorite passages, I'm not there yet actually, but it's in the book of Kings where I believe it's the prophet Elijah is surrounded by an enemy king and his men. They have surrounded Elisha and his servant, and his servant's terrified. And he's like, what are we going to do? I'm, of course, I'm paraphrasing here. But Elisha prays, and it says that something like scales falls off of his servant's eyes. And he looks around, and he sees the, the army that's surrounding them. And it's uh, men that are on horses and chariots of fire, and uh, God's army is, has showed up, and he's going to take care of Elisha and his servant. So uh, a lot of times we don't see that, but God is always at work. God's always there. Whom shall we fear when God's with us? You hear me when I call. You are my morning song. Though darkness fills the night, it cannot hide the light. Whom shall I fear? You crush the
Father God, we thank you that when we are rightly related to you, when we are your children and there's nothing between you and us, Lord, that you are always on our side. And when we're with you, uh, we are always the majority, even if we stand alone. So, Lord, I pray you'll give us the strength to know that uh, regardless if the world stands against us, when we're with you, we will always see a victory. We will always be on the winning side. And we thank you for that promise that we have because of what we have done with Christ, because we've asked him to be our Lord and our Savior, and because he has died on the cross to save us from our sins, Lord. We love you today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Team, I take your Bible this morning and open to 1 Peter chapter 5. Our little guys are making their way to Children's Church. And uh, we are still in our series that we, we started back at the 1st of January, uh, our ancient enemy, Satan. And uh, next week, we'll actually come to the conclusion of that series and don't really know what's coming next. I know that Easter's coming up before too long, so I'm uh, pretty confident that we'll be looking at the cross and the resurrection and those sorts of things together for a little bit. But uh, I'm not sure on the next series that uh, the Lord will lay on, on my heart and guide me to. So be in prayer for that. But I have enjoyed this series that we've been in on Satan. And I hope and pray that you've learned a little something about our ancient enemy, that old enemy, Satan. I want to think with you along the subject this morning, an enemy still engaged. Next week we'll look at uh, the conclusion of Satan, how it all ends for him. But this morning I want us to think about an enemy still engaged. December the 14th, 1944, American GIs are stationed in that Belgian-German border town of Bastogne. You probably know the story if you're a history buff. They uh, were a jolly crew at this time. They were in a good mood. The USO had been touring through, through the area, uh, and uh, matter of fact, Mar uh, Marlene Dietrich was in town uh, performing for the crowd of soldiers. There were a lot of fresh-faced new arrivals uh, that had come in, along with some uh, war-worn, weary GIs. All of them needed a little bit of R&R, uh, &R. And, and so December the 14th, 1944 was just a good day for the Allied forces. It had been six months from that uh, time of D-Day, that D-Day invasion there in Normandy. And the Allies had really a good reason to be kind of optimistic and in a good mood because the Americans and the British forces had been pushing in from the West and they were getting real close now to actually uh, marching into Germany and uh, uh, defeating the German uh, army. Uh, the Russians on the Eastern Front were closing in and so really, everyone thought, you know, this old German menace was coming to a quick close and uh, that uh, old uh, uh, hateful uh, German leader, Adolf Hitler, well, his days were numbered. But that wasn't how Adolf Hitler saw it. The Nazi, the Nazi leader was paranoid at this time and he was angered at this time and agitated uh, in part because there had been a failed assassination attempt uh, led by Operation Valkyrie. You may have read that story or perhaps seen a movie on that. He believed that Germany still had an opportunity to win, and he still believed that German soldiers could strike at, strike at the heart of the Allies in the West. 
And so Hitler ordered his commanders to prepare for what he would call an all-out invasion against a strategic soft spot in the Allied lines located in the dense forest known as the Ardennes. This was Hitler's last-ditch gamble. And it would result in the battle that would be known as the Battle of the Bulge. It was a month-long slog. It was a hard fight. And it proved uh, to be a tough go. And many of tens of thousands, soldiers on both sides, lost their lives because Hitler didn't believe he had yet been defeated. Well, just as Hitler was unwilling to admit defeat and still believed in his heart that he and his armed forces could prevail, I want to say to you this morning that our old ancient enemy, Satan, still believes that he can win. Don't get the idea that Satan is sitting there uh, in kind of a worried panic, uh, thinking, well, I've been defeated and, and there's no hope of victory. You and I can sit this morning and sing in church our victory. Uh, we see the victory in Jesus, but Satan does not sing that same hymn. He truly believes that he can win this war. And just as in the Battle of the Bulge where there were many allied forces, uh, good men who lost their lives and became prisoners of, prisoners of war, I want to tell you that there are many Christians, I think, who are living in similar danger where we're going to get uh, attacked by Satan in an all-out uh, offensive to do away with uh, Christ and Christianity and faith uh, as completely as he can do. And I believe that there will be many a good Christian that will physically lose their life in these days. You say, why do you believe that? Well, that's what Jesus said. He said in these last days there will be what? Persecution. In these last days, he said, some of you will lose your life. In these last days, uh, there is going to be a time like never before where the forces of hell will rise up and seek to uh, uh, put you to sword, to put you to death, to persecute you because you name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to just drive home this morning the understanding that we have an enemy that is still engaged. Now, I was thinking about this message. I had the the, the title and the topic of the message long before the scripture. And I remember praying, Lord, now where would we go to kind of understand this topic and this, this important point that Satan still thinks that he's going to win, that he's still engaged in this battle, he's still engaged in this war, just like Hitler was uh, back in 1944. And the Lord kind of directed me to, to 1 Peter chapter 5 and, and, and the advice from the apostle Peter. Now think about it, there's probably not anybody better to give us advice and warn us against the onslaught of Satan than Peter himself. We all know Peter's story and how he failed Christ, how he denied Christ, when he, he, when he himself had said that he would never deny Christ, that he would even die for Christ, and yet against Satan's attack, Peter failed. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 8 and verse 9. Uh, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour uh, someone, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, or stand firm in your faith, he says. 
know that the same kind of sufferings, he's talking about persecutions here, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout, listen to this, the world. In other words, he says, Satan doesn't believe, he's lost. And there is persecution. There is a battle that is being fought. And Satan is still seeking who he can hurt and destroy in this war between God and Satan. Well, Peter gives us three warnings here, three admonitions and encouragements here that I want to give to you today. Number one, I want you to see this. We must learn to recognize our enemy. Now, when we introduced this series, we, we drove home this point, who is this adversary? Who is this enemy that we call Satan? And I want to continue to drive home the importance that you and I need to know and believe that there really is a Satan, that there really is a devil, that there really is this prince of darkness, and that there really is this person that uh, we need to be mindful of, that we need to recognize. And uh, I want to say to you this morning that we can really uh, recognize him in at least two ways. Uh, Peter tells us, first of all, who our adversary is. And he calls him the devil. Notice what he says. Be sober-minded, be watchful, be on guard, be ready. Your adversary, and we've talked about that, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Now that word devil is the Greek word diablos. You can hear the, 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 the word of devil in that diablos, can't you? Now listen, that word means accuser. Basically, Peter is saying, your adversary, the accuser, is looking who he can hurt. Now, I was studying that word this week, and I came across something that really I, I may have known. If I knew it, I had forgotten it or didn't uh, remember it at least. But I wanted to go deeper when I found this out and, and study out why maybe it was what it was. But the word devil is an interesting word. It's not used in the Old Testament. You're not going to pick up in Genesis or Exodus, Leviticus, or the Psalms. You're not going to read the word devil used. Now, in the Old Testament, we read the word Satan. And I got to wonder, well, why is that? Why is it that that word, the devil, is not used in the Old Testament, but yet it is used in the New Testament? Is it just one of those things that came along as a word, or, 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 or what was happening here? And in my investigation, here's what I found out. The best answer that theologians can, can give as to why the word devil is not used uh, in uh, the Old Testament but in the New Testament is they say that it is seen in the New Testament the devil is seen as an independent evil power no longer in heaven but ruling a demonic kingdom headed for judgment. And that kind of view, he says, uh, or they say, is absent in the Old Testament. And so in this, what they call intertestamental period between what we have the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, uh, written, there's a change. In other words, here's what's happening. There was a change in Jewish thinking. There was a change in the Jewish literature, a change in the Jewish writing between the Old Testament and the New Testament period. Uh, so by the time we get to the, the time of Matthew, the thinking has changed. Well, what has changed? Well, the old view was really seeing Satan in kind of a heavenly setting. 
Even though the Old Testament tells us he was cast to earth, he was cast down uh, uh, to this world, that, that he is a prince uh, in this world, the, the view is really what was going on between God and Satan. But in the New Testament, we see Satan in this world, uh, in, in the writing and in the thinking and, 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 and in the teaching. And in part because what is being uh, taught to us is that Christ is coming, what? To defeat him. Christ came to earth to defeat Satan. You see, I believe what God was doing was preparing us to receive the greatest promised gift that he had ever given, and that being his son, Jesus Christ. Now, that's the who he is. He is the adversary. He is the devil. And Peter also goes on, under as we think about recognizing our enemy, the way our adversary works. And I want to say it is by way of deceit. Jesus said one of the best ways that you can recognize the devil is just to see the lies. He is what? The father of lies. He is a, a deceiver. He, he works by way of deceit. Now think about this. Anytime a change has happened in our world, anytime there's been some kind of big shift in the way we think as human beings, the way we see as human beings, I don't know about you, but it just it, it seems and, and seems to be proved out in the Word of God and in the history of God that God is at work. And I believe that even today, thinking has begun to change. Last year, we spent some time talking about truth. We spent several months talking about what is true and, and living in what we call a post-truth world. Uh, today, the, uh, truth is relative. Truth is subjective, uh, uh, the, the educated eggheads say. In other words, there's no real defined proof. Just whatever you want to believe is fine. No, we said there is a tr truth, and that's the Word of God, and God's Word, and God's Word alone. It is the ultimate truth. It's the truth that doesn't change. But we're living in a period of change as the way the world is thinking and always has thought. Uh, in his book, Hope of Nations, written by John Dickerson, if you've not read that book, it's a great book. You can, you can get the information on the notes that I'll put out later, but uh, it really is a wonderful book on what's going on in our own nation today and how uh, thinking has changed. But he, he, he quotes a research report from Dr. Jean uh, M. Twiggs. Uh, she is the professor of uh, psychology at San Diego State University, and that caught my attention because both her and her university are not really thought of as Christian academics and Christian writing. But anyway, she had done a research, and she had spent 10 years researching the values in America. And she said there's been this big shift. She said there's been a big shift between the university students today as compared to their parents, and particularly their grandparents. And in her research, she states there's been a dramatic swing in what she calls some of life's big views. Big moves, she says. Well, let me give you a few of them. She says there has been a move from faith to sloth. There's been a move from hope to envy. There's been a move from love to greed. There's been a move from justice to wrath. A move from courage to pride. A move from temperance or abstinence, she would say, gluttony. And the, and the move from prudence, chastity, to lust. 
She says in, in, in just one generation, there has been a big, mump, big uh, a jump and a big move in how children, our children and our grandchildren think about big things today. And so I want to just say to you that anytime there's a shift that's going on, God is at work. And there was a shift that went on between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and, and they began to understand Satan just isn't this heavenly uh, uh, adversary, but he's also an earthly adversary who's here. And Christ has come to defeat him. Think about what Jesus said as he thinks about uh, the, this time of change in our world and change of thinking. Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 39, he says, concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, there was eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were, listen, unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be, he says, the coming of the Son of Man. There's a lot there we won't unpack. But what I want you to hear is this, that Jesus is talking about a shift in thinking. That shift is directly tied to his return. And any time we see a major shift happening in society, we need to be saying, okay, is his return soon? Is God up to work? We need to have one eye on heaven and one eye here on earth uh, on the lookout for what uh, is breaking loose uh, in the powers of hell upon this word. Uh, we have an enemy, and he is the devil. Can I tell you that uh, this world is coming to Jesus? But Satan hasn't let go yet. He hasn't give up yet. He still is doing his best to hold on to this world, to keep what power he has. And he is public enemy number one. And you and I, dear friends, are in the gun sights of Satan. I was just reading this week, uh, I don't know if you've been following what's going on with the Canadian pastor, uh, James Coates, at the Grace Life Church. Now, uh, he just felt as, as uh, led of the Lord that he needed to meet, his people needed to be meeting and worshiping, uh, and he didn't abide by the government standards that were being laid out there. And he said, we're not going to stop worshiping God, I'm not going to stop preaching. And folks, they arrested him, and they put him in prison, and they pretty much have kept him in solitary confinement. Now they said, well, he needs to be isolated for 14 days. But they're trying to make an example out of him. They're trying to make a point out of him you can't go against the state. Now that ought to send shivers down our back. That ought to send chills up our spine. Because, dear friend, we're not far away from uh, Satan doing his best to shut the doors of our church. Now I want to say we're fortunate here. We're as insulated in our area and in our state and in our county and in our city as we could hope to be against the onslaught of Satan. And I think there are other places in our land and in our country that are going to have the fight first 
But don't get the idea that the fight is only going to be fought in California or New York or Oregon or wherever. At some point, Satan's going to come knocking on our door and say, either you conform or we'll shut you down. That's the direction things are headed in. And Peter is saying that you and I need to be sober. We need to be vigilant because we have an enemy. And we need to recognize that enemy. He is a devil who is an accuser. He is a deceiver who lies and is deceitful. A second thing we need to do is we must look and respect our enemy. Now, what I mean by this is we need to, we need to show the proper respect that he's due. Not in that we honor him, but we don't dismiss him too lightly. Peter says he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not to be dismissed lightly. There's two things I'd say about what Peter is saying here. And here I think he's really telling us what our adversary is, is doing. And there, there are two things. One, he wants to intimidate Christians. I think the picture of roaring there is a picture of intimidation. And Satan wants to do his best to intimidate you. Now, you and I don't need to underestimate the power of our enemy. And Peter uses a very strong visual image to show us how strong our enemy is. However, you and I need to remember that Jesus is stronger. That Jesus is mightier. Now, it's interesting that the image that Peter uses is also an image that's used of Jesus. Jesus is presented in the gospel as what? The lion of the tribe of Judah. And here, Peter says about Satan, he is pictured as a lion. Now, we read in the book of Revelation, we read in those end of days that Satan is going to rise up, uh, one who is going to present himself to be what? Like Christ, or present himself to be Christ. And the Bible tells us that he's not going to be Christ, but he's going to be what? The Antichrist. The second thing about what Satan does, not only does he try to intimidate Christians, he tries to, listen, imitate Christ. He tries his best to give the world a false Christ in any way that he can. Uh, I was reading C.S. Lewis's book. You uh, listen to what he says uh, about uh, this. And he, he paints an unbelievable picture of how Satan prowls around and does this imitation of Christ. In his book, The Last Battle, if you've ever read it, you remember there's an ape named Shift, and he begins uh, to take earthly glory for himself, and he's a picture of who? He's a picture of Satan. And he enlists the uh, assistance of a tired old donkey named Puzzle. Now, having come across a, a, an old lion skin, uh, Shift, the ape, sews it and kind of puts together this, this uh, a lion suit, and uh, he, he puts it on the donkey, and he's going to parade a puzzle around as the great lion. Listen to how C.S. Lewis writes this out. He says, come and try on your beautiful new lion skin coat, said Shift. Oh, brother, that old skin, said Puzzle. I'll try it on in the morning. I'm just too tired tonight. You are unkind, Puzzle, said Shift. My dear Shift, 
said Puzzle, getting up at once. I'm so sorry. I've been horrid. Of course I love to try it on. And look, it looks simply splendid. Do try it on at once. Please do, he said. Well, stand still, said Ape. The skin was very heavy for him to lift. But in the end, with a lot of pulling and pushing and puffing and, and blowing, he finally got the donkey in the suit. He tied it underneath Puzzle's body. He tied the legs to Puzzle's legs. He tied the tail to Puzzle's tail. A good deal of Puzzle's gray nose and face could be seen through the opening of the mouth's lion head. No one who had ever seen a, a, a real lion would ever would have been taken in for a moment. But if someone had never seen a lion and looked at Puzzle in the lion's skin, well, he just might mistake him for a lion if he didn't come too close and if the light wasn't too good. And if Puzzle didn't let out a, a bray instead of a roar, you look wonderful, wonderful, said Ape. If anyone saw you, they'd think you were Aslan, the great lion himself. He goes on to write in, in his final uh, remarks, uh, later King uh, Tyrion under the night sky saw the pretend lion for who he really was. Then the yellow thing turned clumsily around and walked, and you might all say, all, almost say waddled back into the stable, and ape shut the door behind him. When you look at what Satan tries to do in in imitating Christ, C.S. Lewis puts a pretty good picture. He, he can't pull off what Jesus did. I, no cheap invitation out of hell can ever do what our Savior has done. Don't you ever back down standing for the name of the Lord Jesus and standing for him. I want to tell you, there are a lot of people who have come on the scene and proclaim to be some kind of he, uh, earthly messiah. But only Jesus healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, cleansed the leopard, and raised the dead. And only Jesus can forgive sins. For only Jesus was the Son of God, the Holy Son of God, who's come to save us. But what does Satan want to do? He wants to imitate. He wants to intimidate us. And he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking who he can devour. And what does Peter say? He says, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. You say, well, how do we do that? The Word of God tells us. We stand firm in the faith because we understand we have the presence of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ with us. We have the promise and the person of the Holy Spirit within us. And listen, dear friend, we also have the church standing alongside of us. That's why he talks about the brotherhood. Which brings me to the last point. Why we must labor to resist our enemy. We labor to resist him. And we do it in two ways. An unyielding resistance and a united resistance. We, we resist him. We fight firm. That means, folks, we, we, we're not going to be silent. I get amazed today when the world says to the Christian and to the church, shut up, be quiet, we don't want to hear your opinion. And what really amazes me is how Christians, because the world shouts at them, yells at them, cowers down, walks away, and says, well, I guess we ought not be saying anything. 
Dear friend, yes, you're to have a voice in politics. Yes, you're to have a voice in, in, in society. Yes, you're to have a voice in your community. Yes, you are to be heard. Jesus did not say to, to light your light and hide it under a bushel, did he? Or to light your lamp and, and keep it under your bed. No, he said you put it out on that hilltop, that, that, that glorious light of his glory and his goodness and his grace can be seen. That doesn't mean the world's always going to go along with us and always accept our message. But dear friend, we must fight the good fight. We must be unyielding in our resistance, but we also must be united in resistance. That means we stand together. And I'll tell you one thing that's more heartbreaking to me than just the fact that we don't stand for Christ like we ought to stand for Christ is that instead of standing for Christ, in a united front, we're often too busy fighting with each other. I'm discouraged. I'll be honest, uh, as a Southern Baptist, just to see how we as Southern Baptists get along in our own convention. Uh, just a, a few weeks ago, I was reading how one preacher and another preacher was bashing another preacher and who was bashing another preacher who was bashing another leader in, in, in our convention. And it was all going on on the stage of Twitter. And I, I, had to, I had to just rein myself in and get off of it, quit looking at it, because I, I just wanted to get on there and say, won't you all just shut up? You're embarrassing us. Fighting your fight and doing all this dirty stuff out there in the open. You need to get together and talk to one another, work out these things, and, and come to some place of unity. And the world was watching this, and there were people that were commenting, ah, oh, yeah. That's what them Southern Baptists are, and that's what those Christians are. You can see it. And they were commenting, and I was thinking, how awful. We can't even get along. Peter's given his personal testimony here. Be unyielding in your resistance. Be united in your resistance. Jesus had warned Peter, don't you, don't you take him too lightly. Don't you dismiss Satan too easily. He wants to, to sift you like wheat, Peter. And Peter said, Lord, I, don't you worry about me. Full of pride and full of vinegar. He said, oh, I'll follow you to heaven, I'll, uh, to prison. I'll follow you to death. He had such bravado. But listen, when that dark night came, Peter failed. Christ had tried to tell him. You remember what he said when they were there in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said to Peter and those disciples, you guys need to watch and pray lest you... Uh, enter into temptation he'd already told him it was coming but the big old fisherman wouldn't listen he was going to follow jesus to prison he was going to follow jesus to death but listen all it took was one little old uh girl from town to ask him about being a christian put him on the spot in front of a few people and peter cursed and denied the lord peter found out he found out just how hard the old devil can pounce Peter found out just how damaging his bite can be. Peter found out how it feels to be swallowed whole by his devilish appetite and to have his Christian walk devoured by, by Satan. I'm speaking to some of you today. Right now you say, well, preacher life is good. Times are good. Business is good. Uh, everything's great. I got my wife. I got my kids. I got my family. Everything's going good. But dear friend, I want to tell you, you better watch out. You have an enemy. He's prowling around like a lion looking to see who he can devour, who he can hurt. 
You say everything's coming up roses. That's great. That's wonderful. I hope it continues to go that way. But dear friend, you need to be on guard. You need to watch. Satan is looking on who he can destroy. You remember that opening illustration, December the 14th, 1944. American GIs stationed in Belgium, Germany, in that little border town of Bastogne. They're in a jolly holiday mood, thinking, you know what, the war could be over even maybe by Christmas. One of those fellows there was a young corporal whose name went by the nickname Shipe. Shipe soon found out how quickly his entire world would change, all because one bad guy named Hitler thought he could still win the war. And just five days later, on December the 19th of 1944, L.R. Scheibe Rigby became a prisoner of war in World War II. He would be captured in the early days of the Battle of the Bulge. I remember hearing my grandfather talk about that moment and that event. He said, Chris, I surrendered at gunpoint to a German soldier. He said, uh, they had told us don't leave anything for the Germans to use against our troops. He said, I remember breaking my rifle over a tree stump that had, that had been uh, left there from the shelling of the Germans. He said, it was my final act of defiance. I was already out of bullets, but I wasn't gonna leave them my rifle. Papa said, I, I honestly thought in that moment that soldier was gonna shoot me. Fortunately, he said he wasn't shot, of course. He said, but I wasn't uh, forced to endure what I, what I would say would be a death march. They would have to march for days to awaiting empty railroad cars. He recounted in the story how he saw many of his wounded and weakened fellow soldiers that couldn't keep up. They were simply shot by his German captors. I can honestly tell you my granddad did not like the German people, had no love for them. He said, I saw them kill many of my friends and have no mercy on them. He said, we arrived eventually to those frigid railroad cars. Remember, this is in the dead of winter, marching through the snow. My granddad hated snow. He said, they put us in these railroad boxcars. They might as, well call, might as well call them coffins. And that would be our home for the next several days as we would make our way to the prisoner of war camp. Stalag 9B at Bad Orb. He said our biggest worry in the boxcars were that we probably would, would get killed by our own forces. We were worried about Allied bombers mistaking the German uh, trains that housed, had the prisoners as supply trains. And it was a great chance, a good chance, that we wouldn't even make the prison camp. He said the, the experience in the boxcars was one of great misery. We were stacked like cords of wood in there, men upon top of men upon top of men. We were given a can or we were told to use our helmet if we had, still had it as both our drinking utensil and eating. We also had to use those things for our bathroom necessities. They didn't let us out. They wouldn't let us out. We lived in each other's filth for days and frigid cold. When we finally arrived at the, the camp, he said, we thought things would get better, but they were really far worse. So bad that my granddad didn't really even talk about life in the camp. 
And for the next four and one half months of his life, he endured being a prisoner of war to a merciless army at Stalag 9 be it bad orb. But the good news is that on April the 30th, 1945, the U.S. military rode in and liberated the camp. He said, I never can forget that day. Wasn't but a couple guards even left. Most had deserted and, and, and had, had, had gone. We woke up with just a few older guards there, and they didn't put up any fight. He said, we wanted to just bust out of camp. We hated this place. We wanted to get out any way possible. But our commanding officer said, look, we're at greater danger leaving than we are being right here. Our forces are coming. Our help is on the way, and we're going to wait till they get here. And so he said April the 13th, they came riding in. I want to tell you, we have a bitter, vicious, horrible, merciless enemy. But the good news, dear friend, is help is on the way. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the Son of God, the King of kings, the true lion of lions is going to pierce the clouds one day, come riding back and take us to glory. We're to fight the good fight. We're to stand firm in the faith. We're to be united with one another. In part because we do have an enemy. We need to recognize him. We need to give him the proper respect. But we need to do our best to resist and stand firm and stand strong. I ask you this morning, ask those at home listening this morning, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Is he your friend? Have you allowed him to liberate you from your sin and from the penalty of death that you're under? The happiest day of my granddad's life wasn't the day when his kids or grandkids were born. It was the day that he was set free. He said the truth was nothing else mattered if I didn't have my freedom. I had to have someone set me free. Let me tell you, nothing else matters in your life if you don't know Jesus. What good is it to have a family and die and lose them all? What good is it to make a fortune in this life and to die and that be it? Anything outside of Christ is a loss, is a waste. If you don't know Jesus, dear friend, you don't know anything and you don't have anything. It all starts with Jesus. It all ends with Jesus. He's our liberator. He's our freer. He's the one that gives us that we were singing about the victory. Have you seen the victory in Jesus? Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray for those here, for those listening at home. If there's someone that has yet to give their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, then today, let this day be Liberation Day. Let this day be the day of victory. Lord, you're riding back. And one day we will have the war come to the end. Oh, there was a day for those American GIs where there was victory in Europe. And later on, there would be victory in Japan. And peace would be. And, 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 and they could go home and they could live their life and enjoy all the, the, the benefits of their freedom. 
Lord, there's a day when this war that broke out so long ago will come to an end and Satan will be sentenced and judged and locked away never more to intimidate, never more to imitate and to betray himself like you, Jesus. Oh, what a day. But until that day, we must fight the good fight. And whatever decision needs to be made, let today be the day. Oh, not harden our heart, but today, oh God, trust in you and receive your gift in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. If the Lord spoken today, you come. We pray God's blessings you upon come. you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website, cometothecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.